Hello, name's Craig, WJ6F. I appreciate everyone coming out here to watch this. I've got with me today, I'm sure most of you know who he is, Gordon West, WB6NOA. So let me bring him on board. Sorry for my delay. All right, Gordon, you there? I am here. Very good evening to you, Craig, and all of your YouTube subscriber watchers. Appreciate you coming on board and to do this. Looks like we probably have uh, quite a few coming out to watch. Um, I know uh, I first met you with uh, a number of years ago when my uh, daughters were uh, in elementary school. One of them had a question about how to make uh, use solar to charge an HT. And I really appreciated you taking the time to explain all that. And I told the story that I was a little nervous when you let her use your uh, Kenwood 990, because I didn't want her to break it, but uh, you weren't <laughs> worried about it. So I have a few questions, if I may. One of the first ones that uh, I'm curious about, uh, one, what made you decide to get involved in ham radio and when were you first licensed? Okay. Um, I grew up aboard my parents' boat, and uh, this was not a yacht. This was a 102-foot uh, uh, big converted Army uh, rescue vessel, and we went up and down the Pacific coast, and they wrote magazine articles about uh, where we'd go. And um, at times, I was a little bored aboard the boat because it was just the three of us or my sister Jackie, the four of us. So I had a small little shortwave receiver, the Halicrafters S3080. Now, you YouTube uh, watchers, you remember the Halicrafter S3080. It was a 110-volt uh, radio, but one side of that radio was uh, the other side of 110 volts. So you made sure it never operated that radio in uh, a damp carpet at the house. Well, aboard a boat, Everything was damp, uh, uh, Craig. So uh, first time I touched the outside chassis at 110 volts DC, it absolutely lit myself uh, uh, <laughs> right off the deck. But then I began to realize a little bit about voltage and current. And I was just amazed to tune around on that old S30 AD and uh, hear ham radio operators uh, communicating and even doing dots and dashes. And this was the period when single sideband was just getting started. And this is back in the 1950s. Well, when I finished out with um, high school around uh, 1961, two years prior to that, 1959, uh, I achieved my novice class license. And back then, they didn't have a KN6 or a WN6. They had a WV6, Whiskey Victor 6, TWJ, my first uh, novice call sign. And um, that's authenticated uh, for those of you that ever wanted to look up an old call sign by this fellow here, Pete the Greek. And uh, you can reach him at uh, 12 VDC, as in volts direct current, at AOL.com. And what he provides is a, a low-cost service of going through very old call books and looking up old, old call signs. And I never could remember when I got mine. So it was 59 uh, that I got my uh, first call sign. And you know what? In 1959, that was just after the peak of the big solar cycle that was so exciting because frequencies well beyond 30 megahertz were bouncing off the E layer. In fact, I'd go down to our local fire department and hear calls from Texas coming in on 154 megahertz. So I said, this is gonna be an exciting time. And ultimately, a couple of years later, got my tech license at college time. That's quite a, did not know that you had spent so much time on a boat. Didn't know that anybody had owned one of those old army uh, medical crafts and sailed around the Pacific. I think <laughs> most people would uh, love to live that uh, pirate lifestyle if they could. 
Yeah, it was uh, it was quite a boat, and uh, my mom and dad uh, were into radio. That's when we had an old two-megacycle radio, and I got pretty adept as to uh, getting it spruced up and always enjoyed on uh, 2006 2434 kilohertz split, being able to work uh, the the uh, high frequency, actually it was medium frequency marine operator a thousand miles away. I was just fascinated. So that's when I thought, gee, I had to get into ham radio. Oh, all righty. And what, uh, one of the things I've been curious about since I wouldn't have my license if it wasn't for your book series, as many of the other viewers I'm sure can attest. What was your inspiration for deciding to write the books and get involved <laughs> in that side of ham radio? Well, credit to the American Radio Relay League with their license manuals. And I think all of us back then to uh, study for an examination would read over the license manuals. And we knew that the uh, tests were always secret, but the license manuals had good questions that would pretty much cover us all when we went in there to take a technician class examination or a general class exam. And I had no problem with the uh, Morris code because I enjoyed music. And um, so I started teaching ham radio back in the early 70s when I was working for Standard Communications and ultimately SBE with the old SBE 34. So I started teaching the classes and I came up with my own spiral bound uh, book on uh, studying for the ham radio novice class license and then the technician class license. And um, it was mainly questions and answers. And I actually wrote in a short explanation. Well, everybody said, wow, that explanation is a lot of fun. Um, you ought to really think about um, <clears throat> publishing a, a book uh, professionally rather than what my wife Susie N6GLF and I did uh, literally in our garage to come out <clears throat> with these uh, comb-bound uh, uh, Gordo books that were beginning to become popular all over the country. Well, I said, you know, there's some great books out there in addition to the ARRL excellent license manuals and, of course, the ARRL handbook. There was a fellow on the East Coast called Marty Schwartz with Amico. And the Amico books were unique because after each question, he would give four possible answers that were close to what might be on the exam. And then he had the correct answer. And then Marty went ahead with an engineering type of description of the correct answer. And uh, I thought, gee, that's great. But the way I work, I never <clears throat> would want to encroach on where someone else had done something in uh, ham radio training to come up and do something better. So I was back at the New York Boat Show <clears throat> working with Standard that made the first Japanese of all thing, marine VHF crystal controlled radio for boaters. And up came this gentleman and he says, my name is Marty Schwartz with Amico. And when the boat show is over this coming weekend, would you mind taking the Long Island Railroad and visit us at Amico? <clears throat> so we did, uh, I did. And uh, Marty says, I'm retiring <clears throat> and Amico is going to be building other products for the ham market. Do you have an interest in um, <clears throat> uh, coming back here to the East Coast and uh, continuing on with the book I have started? And I said, well, I really don't have a big interest in coming to the East Coast, although I really enjoyed New York City. Um, and Marty says, well, I'll tell you what, <clears throat> do whatever I've been doing and make it better. And um, I'll, I'll appreciate that. So uh, he uh, stopped his writing for Amico. And that's when I first came out with a novice book. And the novice book was through Radio Shack. And my connection to Radio Shack was Bob Miller, K2RM, that called me out of the blue one day when I was still deciding what I was going to do for a professional book. And he says, hey, I know you don't know me. I'm a fellow ham, and uh, I uh, want to um, have you maybe come down and speak with us about your training materials that you and your wife Susie are doing out of the garage. And after that, 
Radio Shack picked us up. And um, not only did they pick up uh, our first novice and technician class book, but also these things called cassettes. Now, all those of you on YouTube, you probably have not seen one for a long time, but that's how we started with Radio Shack, and those were the CW cassettes. Well, it grew and grew and grew, and the amateur radio call book took us over. Then a company called Master Publishing, who had been behind the Radio Shack products, took us over. Uh, Fred W5YI in uh, Dallas, Texas, and... <clears throat> That's where we are today doing, uh, of course, no more novice, but technician class book, the general class book, and the extra class book. And all of them have sort of my upbeat uh, description of the right answer. But for YouTube viewers, you can actually get a free audio download of all the excitement on technician class all of the excitement with the sounds of general class and all of the excitement on extra class. And you just go to w5yi.org, <clears throat> go about two pages in on their offerings of products, and you'll see on the left-hand column a spot that says download audio. It's absolutely free. They've taken what I've done on these one-hour CDs, <clears throat> audio, not video, audio, and some exciting audio sounds. In fact, for technician class where we talk about emergency communications, on this audio course that all of you on Craig's YouTube site will be able to download free of charge. Um, here's one of the outtakes. We do have some tanks in town that we're able to gravity feed into our tanks, into our fire engines, and they're relaying to the fire ground uh, to keep a continuous flow of water on the uh, on the fires. Uh, we're preventing fire spread. someone please notify Avalon Hospital of incoming injuries. That control fire be advised at this time. We have units on scene. They so a lot of great audio calls of ham radio in action, moon bounce, uh, working the International Space Station, working the space shuttle. Um, these are a great way to get kids especially interested in, wow, that could be even more fun than my uh, little cell phone. So that's how we got started, and that's what we are today, uh, teaching classes, but now teaching classes to instructors on how to have all the fun I've had over these 50 years of ham radio training. Craig? All right. I have a question for you from uh, my eldest uh, daughter, Alicia, K6AML. She wanted to know what the biggest piece of advice that you could give young hams that are new to amateur radio. Okay. And it was a pleasure to see Alicia um, make uh, the scholarship from the American Radio Relay League. So deserving. What page is that going to be next month's QST? Um, it's in this month. So if I remember correctly, it's page 84, top right-hand corner. There you go. 12 years old. And um, excuse me, Alicia. Yeah, it's 12 years. No, she's much older. 12 years old is when Alicia got her extra class. Correct. And that's pretty amazing. K6AML. Well, Alicia, when we train uh, students uh, that are still in high school or junior high, working with the Boy Scouts, of which I've done a lot of Boy Scout classes, you have to do a lot more than just be someone reading them questions and telling them to memorize the answer. You have to somehow weave into the Q&As to pass the test the real excitement of ham radio. So as you can see behind me, I have a lot of radios, and many of them portable, that I bring into the classroom, and I let the students dial around. I let the students operate as third-party traffic. I let the students build their own simple um, two-meter antenna, 18 inches of wire on a coffee can with an SO239 that takes the ground of the coffee cans outside and uh, stainless steel or uh, even a coat hanger where you scrape away the shellac as the 18-inch radiator. And remember safety, I always put a curl on that radiator so that it's not an eye uh, attractor. <clears throat> so we do a lot of demos, but I get the students actively involved, the kids. And 
kids are amazing. Let me just share with you a short story. We teach them CW as well. And professional CW operators will tell you, you grip the uh, push button that you're going to push down to do the code. And that way you have full control. And this is simply a coat hanger on a piece of wood that we let the kids build together and a little son alert. Well, the kids looked at this, uh, Craig, and um, your YouTube viewers, and he goes, how come you're doing like this? He says, you use your thumb. And I go, no, you don't use a thumb. And they go, God, are you old? That's all we do these days on our uh, cell phones is we do the code or we do the dialing with our thumb. So now we got kids out there with these little devices going, and by golly, the thumb makes a pretty good substitute for what the old way. So the instructor for teaching kids has always got to be adaptive because the kids will come up with the most innovative ways to make ham radio even more fun. Yeah, I figure with the uh, new generations coming in, we're going to see a lot more computer play in ham radio. And I'm wondering if it's going to enhance the... Uh, slow scan TV, how it's going to impact all the other stuff with the advent <laughs> of more and more computers coming in. Well, you know, you're right. And um, just when you think something is uh, old hat and ham radio, like slow scan television, that's what they send down from the International Space Station now. And it's fascinating to see some of the pictures when they do the slow scan, either from the USA module or the Russian module of the International Space Station. But where kids absolutely excel, and I learn from them, and so does Susie, is when they come in with their laptops and they've loaded in uh, PSK, they've loaded in uh, Olivia, uh, they've loaded uh, in FT8, the WSJT suite of all the digital modes, and they love it because they're figuring out ways to send faster, yeah, even without uh, upping the baud rate. And um, uh, the folks at uh, Joe Taylor's WSJT site really see some of the exciting digital modes. And now we have handhelds that are um, uh, DMR, uh, much like uh, the trunking radio systems. And they love that because they can, with their thumbs be able to maneuver that radio around and get to almost any part of the world via internet over or uh, the internet over uh, IP. Uh, so it's it's really addictive to kids to see how far ham radio has uh, come. And um, if they're not interested in uh, voice communications, we hope they will because comms like this. We are doing triage on the patients. We are aware of the fire spreading into the structures. Uh, Avalon and County volunteers have been uh, activated and responding to scene to have. So, I mean, comms like that, kids will go, well, I'm not really into the emergency side like uh, uh, many of us are. But I'll tell you what, when they go into the digital side, especially with their laptops uh, and their smartphones tied into their ham radio, they are having fun. And one of the latest that's been around for 15 years is Automatic Position Reporting System, APRS. And they have fun uh, bugging someone's uh, backpack and being able to see exactly where they go without that other ham realizing uh, every five minutes he's putting out a packet of his uh, lat lawn. I use the APRS system to uh, keep the uh, wife happy when I go camping. I just flick it on in the morning, flick it on in the afternoon, and that way she knows I'm still around and still ticking. <laughs> it, it, Amy. it is a great system. Yes. Yeah, Amy, Amy, you've got a great way of keeping track of Craig. That's for sure. Yeah, she's a she's a tech in six BNY. I think my biggest uh, accomplishment in ham radio was getting the three kids and her all licensed. Well, your three kids are so talented. Not only do they go to college, uh, but uh, your youngest, uh, Ashley K six Boo, who got her license at what nine years old. She yes. is an artist in itself. Look at this. This is a cookie she uh, made, and um, it was the best. And talk about an artist. There you go. So this is neat where we can see kids get excited about a hobby that a lot of people is going, well, 
uh, we're never going to be able to get this going with the kids. Oh, yeah. As long as you read them and what their likes and dislikes are. And many of the kids, especially those taking uh, music uh, as a major, find that uh, operating uh, CW with their thumb uh, is a great uh, skill. And they really enjoy sending messages back and forth uh, on uh, CWHF radio. Yeah, when I when the kids were all in elementary school, they I wouldn't allow them to have a cell phone. I didn't think a fifth grader needed a cell phone, so they would take their little uh, Baofengs to school. Sure. And it started, and that's how they contact to see how far away I was and when I was going to be there to pick them up. And it started sparking an interest in other students. Their classmates started asking, oh, what's that? What's that? Can I, can I use it? Can I, how do I get one? And she started uh, passing out the books that I had left over. And don't know if any of them, because she moved on to uh, Orange County School of the Arts, but don't know if they, uh, any of them ever went through with it and got a license, but she at least put the interest in their little beady brains. Oh, that is terrific. And when Alicia gets uh, going with college, uh, we expect that her work with the it's uh, Cal Poly Amateur Radio uh, Club. Is that correct? Correct. Up in, uh, yeah, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, they have an amateur radio club. They have, uh, they basically took over the engineering roof for all their antennas. Oh, wow. Well, that's great. And, you know, that'll be a real attraction as long as the kids are not just sort of sitting there watching. Put them on the air, uh, get them going, have them dialing around, having them add 12 volts. And uh, this really gets them excited that they're doing more than just watching ham radio, they're taking part. And, of course, those that are not licensed may operate as third-party traffic. And uh, Alicia, with her extra-class license, of course, has that covered. So we encourage uh, all of you to try and support, as we always try and do, as many of the college and the high school ham radio stations to attract more kids to our fun hobby. I think every college she put into from New York to Berkeley to Rice, I think they all had a ham radio club on campus. Oh, that is terrific because ham radio in an emergency could be a lifesaver. Now, depending as to when you're viewing uh, Craig's uh, YouTube video of this interview, uh, we understand that Mexico, uh, Acapulco, just had a 7.0 earthquake. In a few minutes, I'm going to come up on high frequency 14.300 and uh, see if there's any outbound traffic because when there's big earthquakes, especially in foreign countries, countries. Uh, the cell phones usually go down. Uh, the big satellite, uh, big dishes that aim up at geosynchronous satellites, uh, they many times are two or three degrees out of whack after the earth has shifted. But ham radio stays on the air. And this past weekend, um, the uh, ham radio operators in New Orleans with the uh, uh, Ida coming ashore and then going all the way up to New Jersey, the ham operators were still on the air, even though their normal relay stations called repeaters, some of them continue to operate on battery power, but uh, there was clouds a couple days uh, afterwards, so the batteries were getting low, but the ham operators still prevailed to pass health and welfare traffic. Yeah, that's one thing. I mean, we live in earthquake country, so we're, you know, we're no stranger to it. And then all the people on the East Coast with the uh, hurricanes and the Midwest with the tornadoes, it's, you got to have ham radio. That's why I'm always amazed at how many HOAs ban antennas. That's right. On um, homeowners associations, uh, they actually have a right to uh, govern uh, what goes on roofs aesthetically. And um, uh, they do allow, uh, from what I understand, satellite dishes. But, you know, some of our little ham antennas are not much larger than a dish or a direct TV reflector. And many folks are actually putting up direct TV or dish uh, system antennas uh, that aren't hooked into the TV, but rather the coax goes to their ham radio. And they figured out how to come up with a slot antenna that will resonate on two meters or 440. Yeah, it looks like a direct TV antenna. And yep, we have earthquakes out here. And whenever there's an earthquake, you can count on ham radio activity. 
need of medical supplies. Ham radio operators need it immediately with high-frequency radios. And that was, uh, that was a huge earthquake in Sri Lanka many years ago where they could not get enough ham radios to turn out throughout the world to uh, support these uh, thousands of homeless folks that needed to get word out that, well, no more house, last seen floating out to sea, but we're alive. So ham radio is indeed very alive and very well, and uh, it's easier than ever to get the license because it's a multiple choice test. The test questions are now published, so it's not like, oh, my God, there was stuff on the test I never knew. If you didn't know it, you didn't read uh, the published questions, and even the A, B, C, D answers. And uh, what I do in my uh, books is I give you uh, every question there is, and then not only the right answer, but why the answer is correct. And uh, Marty did it uh, sort of matter-of-factly, and I do it tongue-in-cheek because you got to have fun if you're studying for a ham test. And as for CW, people said, well, there's no more CW tests you have to pass. We are now, from what I understand from our distributors, moving more Gordo learning CW uh, CDs, soon to maybe go to a thumb drive, um, than we've ever had before. So even though, Craig, that uh, CW is no longer required for a code test, it's still gaining in popularity because, well, hell, if they aren't going to test me for code, I'll learn it. Because I don't have to worry about uh, crashing when I freeze up with an examiner breathing down my neck like uh, you and I used to do uh, when we'd take tests at the FCC. Yeah, I was thankful that the uh, that code test went away. I've tried to learn. I don't have great success in my abilities to learn. I'm not like Alicia who just uh, learned that seemingly in a matter of weeks. Wow. That's that's great. Yeah, the code test was always a stumbling block for a lot of hams. It's not that they couldn't learn the code. It's not that I didn't do a lot of code practice in our class. But going to the FCC office and a pressure exam, uh, they would freeze up. And um, what we did after uh, the FCC turned uh, examinations over to uh, ham operators themselves that were credentialed through a volunteer exam coordinator, when we would have a class and we're ready for uh, testing, um, I would always say, well, let, let's just do one more little code practice and we'll just use this as a warm up. And then you'll take your written exam and then you'll do the actual code test. So I said, this is just a practice exam. And we give a five minute test and people are just back there, just writing away, all relaxed. And we said, put uh, your name on it and the time and turn it in. And uh, then they would take the written exam. And then probably nine out of 10, or 18 out of 20 in the class, and some of our classes got up to like 30 and 40, they had passed the code test. We just didn't tell them, this is a test, don't freeze up. And they had a great time uh, uh, exuberating on all the success they had in passing both the code as well as the theory. All right. If uh, anyone in the audience has uh, any questions, feel free to post them in the comments section, and I'll do my level best to get every one of them. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of folks in there. I know uh, one of the guys, Gordo, uh, this side of Ham Radio, he's Shane out of Texas. The book you mentioned, uh, if I remember correctly, he was saying it helped him find his grandfather's old call sign. Yes. Um, there's a Ham whose name is Pete Farunias, and his call sign is November Lima 7 X-Ray Mike. And all one has to do is to first make contact with him via email. And his email address is the word 12, T-W-E-L-V-E, and then three letters, V is in voltage, D is in direct, and C is in current. 12 VDC, all run together at AOL.com. No phone number, just 12VDC at AOL.com. And uh, Pete the Greek will then say, I'll be happy to do it. Uh, give me the particulars of whose call sign you're trying to look up. 
And uh, once he scores uh, the successful lookup of the uh, call sign, let me see if I, there we go, he will send the page out of the, uh, a, uh, excuse me, out of the um, uh, call book. There we go, the, the old printed call books. Boy, remember those. And down at the bottom, he actually has a little certificate of authenticity. And uh, that lets folks know that uh, Pete had researched it found it and this was grandfather's old call or whatever and then through the w5yivec uh, they can many times look that call sign up and if it's not in current use um, no one else has chosen it then they could actually swap that call sign for a uh, call sign that you may have now as just generally issued so a neat way to get back a uh, old granddad's call sign all righty. I have a question from Brian, Alpha Delta 8, Gulf of India. He wants to know, what have been your most memorable contacts on the air? <laughs> oh, thanks, Brian. You know, on my uh, audio CDs, and Brian, be sure and download them. Go to w5yi.org uh, and go to their product listing. On the left-hand side, you'll see about five down. It says download audio. Click on that and it says, do you want tech, general, or extra? Do the technician because it contains some of my most memorable contacts. And the first very memorable was King Hussein, JY1. And uh, I, I didn't realize who he was. I, he was in a, uh, a calling CQ, and I went back to him. And I said, gosh, you got to be way up there on the pecking order from uh, wherever you are with a JY and just the number one. And um, then he said, well, um, this is Hussein, and I'm in Jordan. And I thought, oh, my God, King Hussein. So first I called him Your Highness. And he comes back going, well, you're close, Gordo, if I may call you that. It's actually your majesty. So I was duly corrected on uh, 15 meters uh, working King Hussein. And that was memorable. And I still have his QSL card. And I actually have his audio coming through on what is now available free of charge to all of you. And that is my audio recordings at the W5YI.VEC. And then, of course, Owen Garriott, W5LFL. The, inter the uh, space shuttle uh, was carrying Owen as a ham radio operator. And on his first pass, luckily was over California. And I thought, wouldn't that be neat to be the first ham in the world to work someone in space? It had never been done before. So up, and this again, you'll hear it on the uh, W5YI one-hour Gordo uh, audio track. Um, so we stood by, stood by, and then he came on the air and saying thanks to KL7. And I thought, oh, bummer. He was coming up out of Alaska, and a 7 got him. But I finally worked him after a four or five tries and uh, half a kilowatt which I really didn't need more than five watts, but the world was beaming up to him on two meters. And I successfully worked him and he came back with my call sign and that was very memorable. But most memorable, I think, is just listening to the hams, communicating, trading ideas, uh, trading uh, uh, different conversations. We've lost a little bit of that now because of the digital modes. Yeah, I worked 100 countries last night. Jeez, you worked 100 countries. How in the world? You must have no voice. Oh, no, no. I didn't do it voice. I did it on WSJT, uh, FT8, or some of the digital modes. Not quite the same warm feeling that you get when you make a QSO, a communications, with another fellow ham. And they go, well, I'm a police officer or I'm a brain surgeon or I'm unemployed. It's, it's just so much fun to carry on a conversation. Yet, for those that are looking for wallpaper, and notice 
I don't have any because I'm not into just working DX, hi, goodbye, 73, next station, or going on the computer and uh, uh, watching my computer uh, dutifully send uh, my CQ for 15 seconds and then uh, uh, get responses and log it and probably send them a QSL card. That would be for someone wanting to collect the wallpaper and by golly, I want to see a ton of wallpaper because, well, you may be missing out on the fun. This is your deal. This is your happy part of ham radio. And that is working some of the nearly automatic digital modes. So um, that's, that's what I see changing there. But every contact I make is memorable. And uh, sometimes I, um, uh, someone will say, are you the same? And I go, uh, yes, but I said, let's talk about you, and I'll immediately get it away, because if someone asks me on the air about a book or tapes or audio CDs, I can't discuss that, because that's uh, what we do here at Radio School, and many times they're surprised that uh, we would have a real interest in what they do as well, and that's what I enjoy, is hearing their stories. Uh, one of uh, another question I have here, and I think some of the young youngins in this uh, audience may not understand the reference, but uh, Renrad1585 is asking, basically, how many times have you heard somebody want WKRP as a vanity call sign <laughs> in the old TV show? Oh, that's a great question that you ask. And yes, uh, there are uh, uh, W6KRPs and a lot of uh, KRPs out there. So uh, that's one of the neat things about uh, ham radio is once you get your entry-level call sign, many times you can uh, do a vanity call sign that uh, has a distinctive four-letter call sign of a popular radio station as well as TV show. Indeed, great question. And then Renrad also wants to know if you've ever contact, contacted Pitcairn Island. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure Pit, if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, no, Pitcairn Island. Uh, yes. Um, and during those island expeditions, uh, those hams that risk their lives to go to these islands, uh, Clipperton, Jim Rafferty with Ham Radio Outlet, uh, lost his life, not on scene, but just from the intense sun and um, uh, skin damage, and it finally cost him. But those hams do such a spectacular job of lighting off a very rare island or a very rare country. I do Tango 32 Golf Whiskey Christmas Island, not near uh, Africa, but rather Christmas Island south of Hawaii. And that's always fun, although it's not real rare. But uh, Pitcairn, yes, that's a, uh, that's a rare one. And... Um, uh, I have worked it, and the uh, the problem is there's so many folks trying to work the station, you really can't get a, a lengthy conversation because they need to try and work as many possible. So when they leave the island, they've got uh, 50,000 uh, uh, contacts. And uh, on uh, this free audio CD through the W5YI.group, I have Lord Howe Island, and that is a rare one. And it was in the middle of the evening. For some reason, no one else recognized his call sign. I didn't know his call sign because I'm not a DXer. So I went back to him and I go, geez, you got a pretty strong signal. Sounds like you're uh, Australian. He goes, no, I'm here on Lord Howe Island. I'm the only ham. Well, play the audio and you'll hear that contact. And I was just flabbergasted that some of these islands only have one or two hams. And uh, But he was so friendly uh, not to try and work DX. See you later. Got to go work 100 other stations. No. He asked questions, I asked questions, and I always encourage our ham operators, say the other stations, not only call sign, but their personal name. And that really gives a bond between ham radio operators, international friendship that will last literally forever. Now, we were talking about young hams, and uh, one of the viewers, Wild Cascadia Radio, very talented young lady in her own video-making efforts, she uh, feels like the digital mode is what's going to hook them, meaning the younger generation. Do you think that uh, is probably the case as well? 
Well, certainly uh, the digital mode really appeals to those that have a handheld with multiple digital modes, Yezu with Fusion, ICOM with the D-Star and the DMR liner radios, a company called Bridgecom. This is an amazing company because they took a Chinese handheld called a real ridiculous name, Anytone, and it was just another Chinese handheld. You knew that if it ever broke, you just threw it away because for $29.95 for a dual band handheld, uh, you could just buy another one because there was no service, no nothing. Well, Bridgecom was the first, and I think just about the only uh, USA importer of a lot of these Chinese radios, especially the Anytone that they put their name on. And let me tell you, they offer classes. They offer on the air, or no, not on the air, on the internet, live uh, tutoring, bridgecom.com uh, probably, or .org. But um uh, these handhelds are digital, and they get you turned on to go to digital hotspots that then go into uh, the internet linking. So uh, young kids will say, yeah, you want to talk to um, uh, uh, a ham in England? Stand by. They get on their radio, and they're punching it up there, and they punch more up there. I would be lost just with the amount of speed that they're doing. And then all of a sudden, uh, here comes a station, uh, G3, whatever, from uh, uh, Europe coming through. So I think kids will make good use of digital comms, and kids are especially um, important for traffic handling because when we do modes like WinLink, and we have masks where we got to fill in the information for the American Red Cross. These emergency modes, and Winlink is a common mode, uh, and uh, we have uh, Pactor 2 under emergencies. They allow us the wider bandwidth of Pactor 3. But kids just love this type of digital communications via their computers or their smartphones or tablets. So, um, no, I don't see a problem with kids getting involved in that, but I sure want them to every day uh, come into their local ham radio nets, maybe their college net uh, uh, for their college, and just say, hey, what's going on? Hey, tonight we're going to have a study party on building uh, coaxial antennas. Yeah, Roger, I'll be there. It's a great way, sort of an intercom between hams, unlike the cell phone. But the neat part of it is everybody's listening. And if you say, yeah, dorm room 324, someone will say, Correction, it's actually one, two, three that this get-together is going to take place. So that's a neat thing about ham radio. Unlike cell phones, cell phones, it's one-on-one. -on -one. But on ham radio, on a handheld device like this, it's one to a many, uh, much like, uh, Craig, uh, your uh, great uh, YouTube right here. It's like the old party lines they used to have way back in the day. Yes, it was. At um, young lady Melissa, she posted a uh, bridgecomsystems.com is the website. And uh, oh, I have thank one of the radio. You. you see they how sell. great kids are? Kids always oh, yeah. come to my rescue. Thank you. <laughs> bridgecom.com. Bridgecomsystems.com. Right? Oh, Bridgecom Systems. Wow. You Correct. see how great kids are? They keep us on the straight and narrow. Yeah, that they do. Mine remind me of it daily. And uh, <laughs> they, uh, they have the nice thing about Bridgecom Systems, they will set up the radio or the hotspot for you. It's a set it and forget it. You don't have to do anything. They have their own little like university thing. And the prices aren't bad. And you can buy whole starter sets to get you everything you need to get going. And it's a great because DMR tends to be a little more confusing than than D Star would be, which is more confusing than Fusion. But that's my old brain. And they uh, they make it simple. Uh, they do. We lose so many new hams around the country that are tempted to buy a pair of, and what a deal, dual band, two meter, 440 handhelds from China, direct from China. And they come unprogrammed. And 
they have a hard time navigating via the keypad. No one tells them that you can always get the weather channel at 162.550 or around that area. They go, I haven't heard squat on this, and they chuck it. Uh, they end their ham radio career going, there was nobody on because uh, no one was uh, providing programming. And that's where I always try and tell folks taking the test, before you leave the test room, these are fellow hams, volunteers, not getting paid a cent to offer exams. For heaven's sake, ask them, who's my local club? Because I'm thinking of getting this radio and uh, would someone program it? And someone right there at the ham test outside uh, area may say, oh, wait a minute. You don't want that Chinese handheld because it mainly only programs being a part 90 radio via computer uh, chirp uh, network. And they'll talk you out of it and talk you into something that maybe they can even clone, such as a very popular, let me get it here, very popular, hold on, every popular, um, Yesu Kenware Icom products. This is Yesu FT60. And uh, they say, give me two minutes and I'll give you uh, 355 channels that I've pre-stored in my radio and I'm going to load it into your radio. That's a good deal. All right. I got uh, another question here from AJK. He wants to know what the what band or bands would be best to try and contact Alaska or Hawaii from the Gulf Coast area? I know we can, for Hawaii, we can do the uh, tropospheric ducting certain times of the year. But what would uh, be yes. best for him out at Gulf Coast? Okay. Um, if uh, on the Gulf Coast, if you're on high frequency, uh, Alaska is on uh, every morning on 20 meters on around 14200, uh, uh, and they have uh, the bush net and the many other nets. Um, and Hawaii, uh, every afternoon, uh, they have uh, Hawaii has a lot of stations on uh, uh, 14250 uh, in that area. Uh, but if you're just doing VHF, uh, there's not a chance you're going to get Alaska on very high frequency other than the International Space Station as a repeater in the sky, uh, which it is, or uh, possibly maybe getting some sporadic E on six meters. But here's the excitement. In Texas, you have openings in May, June, July, big time, August, and this month, September, that opened to Key West, Miami, Tampa. And these openings are what you just uh, indicated, Craig, tropospheric ducting, where your signal is uh, in between a warm air mass of sinking air and a cool ocean below it, the Gulf. And when those two squeeze that warm air and it goes up in temperature delta by 10 degrees, now it acts like a waveguide. And your little two-meter radio is easily picking up on a hot, high-pressure system over the Gulf uh, signals coming all the way from Florida. And let me tell you, that is probably even more exciting. But if you need Hawaii and um, uh, Hawaii and Alaska, 20 meters in the morning for Alaska and in the mid-afternoon where you're located for Hawaii and uh, just tune around uh, below 14300 and you'll hear every now and then a KL7 in Alaska or a King Henry VI in Hawaii. And again, on the free audio CD courses, which don't come CD, they come uh, right to your computer at the W5YI.org site, uh, you'll hear some of those tropo ducks that uh, Craig and I work here to Hawaii via that warm air tropospheric ducting. Yeah, I don't have the uh, cool antenna for doing that like you do at your place. <laughs> Well, you can, uh, I'll bring the coax out the window. and But, you know, they have gone digital as well. And what used to be an open party line is now one ham to another over 2,500 miles. Uh, sort of one way ham radio and the other way uh, internet radio linking. It's just not the same. 
I was hoping they would maintain the beacons uh, openly for uh, us to uh, make that random contact. Paul Lieb, King Henry VI Hotel, Mike Echo, would drive his old station wagon up to the 5,700-foot mountain uh, volcano. And only a ham would drive up a volcano that's actually an active volcano to set up uh, portable and uh, make contacts. Well, he's silent key now, but we'll always remember what hams do to let other hams work them. And you know, this weekend is the VHF UHF contest for those listening uh, live today, just before uh, the devastating September 11th, 20th anniversary, where we lost 3,000 Americans in just moments. Um, God bless them. But uh, Hams will, uh, over the weekend in the VHF-UHF contest, be going to summits on the air, maybe even parks on the air. And these are fun events that kids really get a charge out of because they get to exercise carrying all this stuff up to a 2,000-foot uh, um, uh, hill or a 4,000-foot mountain, or an 8,000-foot peak, and uh, the kids uh, do a great job of making those contacts. Yeah, I do admire the people that do the sodas on the air. My, uh, yeah. After uh, several years in the Army, my knees aren't climbing up any mountains anytime soon. <laughs> I agree with you. Yeah, they, are, they are great programs, POTA. Uh, I know one of the biggies on the on YouTube, Mike Cade, MRD, he has a lot of videos all about the POTA stuff. He's a kind of become a POTA legend, as it were. Yes, yes, he is. So, and then I know there's a few other. In fact, uh, one of the guys on here right now, this side of the radio, Shane, he uh, he has a video out there, if anyone hasn't seen it, where him and Mike get in a contest. I think they need more of that to see who uh, reigns supreme by the end of the year. <laughs> well, this weekend will be a good one. That it will be. I'm trying to see if there's any other questions anyone has. Do you have one of the things I'm wondering about, because you've spoke at our club, Sora, a couple of times on the Firewatch that we have here in Orange County. In your experience doing Firewatch, I, I know it works. Otherwise, it wouldn't be going on for so many years. How can people start stuff like this in their areas? Because I mean, if there's one thing California seems to constantly do, it's either the north or the south is burning. They take turns back and forth. Is there any way for clubs or who they can contact to get something like that started to maybe quill these fires a little quicker? Um, very good point uh, that you raised, Craig. And yes, most established amateur radio clubs will have an emergency training officer, and they're always looking for those hams that may be available to take some training and become available to stand watch on a hilltop where a forest is in the background or do a patrol on a windy road where a lot of outsiders uh, may come and park uh, too close to uh, the brush and their catalytic converters light off the brush, which happens a lot out here. And uh, the fire watch operation usually is one that clubs will begin to feed more folks into. And usually it's in with a conservation group or a group of volunteers uh, that are uh, led by a key volunteer that manages uh, sending volunteers out to uh, safely monitor for um, fire watch traffic. And when we go to the top of a mountain, um, we uh, many times are with real heavy wind. And I always tell our fire watch or anyone, including uh, those that are taking part on uh, soda summits on the air, with a, a small handheld microphone tied into the radio, check it out ahead of time because wind noise can absolutely disrupt what you're trying to describe as an active fire. Take a listen to wind noise. So far, so good. Yeah, 
Yeah, that was a mess at the end. He was talking fine, but the wind was blowing across the microphone. So these Firewatch or these summits on the air, this is great training because in an emergency, hams may be deployed in a windy area. And if they've had training before, they're going to be good emergency communicators realizing that sometimes they have to turn their back to the wind to be able to talk without the wind blowing over their handheld or their handheld uh, speaker microphone. So, yep, get together with your local club and ask uh, who's in charge of the emergency uh, side for volunteers. But to be a good volunteer, you've got to do the uh, uh, training, ICS 100, 700, 800. These are computer courses, uh, nationally offered, absolutely free. But we need to be sure that when we show up, uh, we've got more than just uh, impressive badges and tags on, that we've got the backup to know how to professionally handle emergency calls. And they may say, who knows how to do WinLink? There we go. All right, uh, West, uh, would you mind uh, jumping on WinLink with the American Red Cross 40 miles away and tell them we need 17 cots and 24? You get the idea. So ham radio, always there. Uh, first of all, I wanted to thank uh, 86DM for the uh, super chat. Uh, I do like the 5.56. Uh, that is a favorite of mine. And uh, Gordon, one of the guys is wondering if uh, – Courts Fest will be going on this year. Okay. With COVID and everything. Um, Courts Fest was something that uh, we helped start 20 years ago. And uh, it originally was just a group of uh, those of us with uh, camper vans. In fact, I want everybody, if you're thinking of going to Courts Fest, uh, download the movie Nomad Land. Uh, the director won uh, one of the big prizes at uh, uh, the recent, um, I forget what it was, but anyway, star director. Uh, Nomad Land is at Quartzsite, Arizona. Um, last year, or two years ago, we had a very effective Quartzsite uh, ham gathering, but a couple of the folks there were coughing and they all thought they had the flu. That was January two years ago. Well, Lord knows what it turned out to be. And uh, some of uh, those folks uh, got it. So the one they did last year was called Quartz Pause, where they would get together, make sure no one else would bogart the uh, normal camping area because the movie Nomadland really made it popular, that particular site. And Quartz Fest is planned for this year, third full week in January in Quartzsite, Arizona. Uh, there's nothing to plug into. There are no dumps. There's no trash cans. There's nothing but you and the uh, nice uh, hard-packed sand below and whatever vehicle you came in or flew in on or whatever. And it's uh, seven days of training, a lot of seminars and so on. However, this will only take place if the uh, new variant has wound down and we're safe to do it because we meet inside big tents and there's uh, not a lot of ventilation. So the Quartz Fest organizers for 2022 are just hoping that we will have a Quartz Fest. If not, it'll be a Quartz Pause where we all get together, but no big tents, no big everybody comes together for a seminar but probably a lot of great time uh, out at a uh, campfire after the sun sets. Yeah, I've been uh, through Quartzsite many a time when I used to drive semis across country and was stationed out of, uh, or based out of Phoenix. And uh, I always remember the popularity of that one for the, uh, they always have the gym show every year. And oh, I yeah. You guys try to work your way around that one. <laughs> and I know the, the weather can be very unforgiving out there. It can be extremely hot or extremely cold. Yep, very true. Well, it's I'm looking at my watch, and yep. in about five minutes, I take part in a United States Coast Guard auxiliary net where we operate on frequencies that are NTIA, not ham channels, but we're also going to be assigning probably some ham operators to listen to on the ham bands 14300, because that's when the Pacific Seafarers Net is beginning to warm up. And our first call in about five minutes on 14.300 upper sideband will be do we have any stations near Acapulco, Mexico, 
with emergency or priority traffic. So that's what we're going to do in about four minutes from now. But I had such a great time, Craig, and uh, Ashley, um, K6Boo, great call sign. Alicia, do well, K6AML. Joshua, KK6NYA. Amy, thanks for putting up with us, N6BNY. So this is Gordo and my wife's call sign, N6GLF. And all of you, and those of you watching right now, you're making ham radio happen. And Craig, WJ6F, thank you for having me on board. Oh, I can't thank you enough for coming on board. It was a, it was a great pleasure. Learned a lot and hope to do it again sometime. And I'll let you take off to the uh, other thing You're uh, for the Coast Guard Auxiliary. So you have a good one. Roger that. 73 all and stay active and let's make ham radio happen always. Gordo, WB6NOA, QRT here. All righty. Well, I appreciate everybody for uh, sticking around and watching this. I can't thank you all enough. Uh, again, Dennis, I appreciate the uh, super chat. And with that, I'm going to bid everyone farewell. I'm going to go see what the uh, the aforementioned kids are up to. They've probably destroyed the house by now. But you all have a good one, and thanks again for coming out.